six miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is the distinct pleasure of the management to present to you the evening star attraction. Here they are, back after their exclusive three-year tour of Europe, Scandinavia, and the subcontinent. Won't you welcome from Calumet City, Illinois, the show band of Julian Jake and Elwood Blues, the Blues Brothers. Police? No, ma'am. We're musicians. Ticket stubs and cassette tapes. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Google Podcasts. I'm Andy. I'm your host. And he is Chad. What's up, Chad? Hey, what's going on? Oh, not much, man. We're on a mission from God tonight. <laughs> uh, I've been looking forward to this one. Um, you know, The Blues Brothers is just such a great movie, and it's such a crazy movie. You know, it's it's it gets out there, but it's just such a fun movie from from Aykroyd and Belushi. And looking forward to it. This is our first uh, movie podcast of 2022, so you know we're looking forward to doing a lot of great stuff and and <clears throat> you know really getting in there with some of these movies and and having some fun. Uh, like I said, today we're doing the Blues Brothers from 1980, uh, directed by John Landis, starring um, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. It was written by Dan Aykroyd and John Landis. I think um, that Aykroyd originally wrote like a 300 and something page script for this movie. Yeah, it was it, it was, was huge, ridiculous. I think like I read where as a joke he like put it in a yellow pages book because <laughs> yeah, it was so did. thick, uh, which is just insane. Uh, but land us like three weeks to, to pare it down to, yeah, to, he had to write a multi-part down. movie. 
Yeah, so I know that it was supposed to be originally a two-parter, but I don't. Mm-hmm. I've never really read why the second part didn't get made. Maybe that was Blue Brother Blues Brothers two thousand, but I'm, well, I'm not sure about that. Like, yeah, and I don't know if Landis just took it and he pared it down so much he just fit everything into one movie. Yeah, yeah, probably so. But this is a uh, a great movie from nineteen eighty. Uh, I can't really remember the first time I saw Blues Brothers. Um, it was a long time ago, a, a really long time ago. But, um, you know, I've seen it several times. Uh, for me, uh, you know, I'll sort of speak for myself here. For me, as, as a fan of, uh, you know, Ackroyd and Belushi and, you know, those types of comedies from that time period, it's a, it's awesome. But it's also cool because I'm, I'm a fan of the music and the band. Um, you know, this started out as an SNL skit, um, you know, which, which honestly came from, you know, I don't know uh, how many of you out there are familiar with, you know, Ackroyd's personal life, but he's a, a big fan of the blues. And, uh, you know, I was reading uh, an article, you know, where he was talking about, back in the days of of saturday night live when he was a regular cast member and they would have the after show parties you know he would uh, go and just find like these blues bars and just you know go in there and jam and and you know until daylight um and that was kind of his after party and i believe belushi was a part of that too so um, yeah i think i read that belushi was uh into heavy metal and right uh Ackroyd pulled him over into in the blues yeah, I don't think he grew up as as grounded or as rooted in the the blues as uh, Ackroyd, uh, but um, which is odd because Ackroyd's Canadian. <laughs> yeah, that is weird. Um, you know, he even to this day, like I can't remember what podcast I saw him on where he was talking a lot about the blues, and he's super knowledgeable about all types of blues music and rhythm and blues. Uh, and and so it was you know a passion project for him but it started out as an snl thing and it it grew into uh you know an actual band and this movie um as far as the band goes uh as you see in the movie it consists of obviously um dan Aykroyd and belushi who appear as uh elwood and jake blues uh, but you also have Steve, Steve, the Colonel Cropper, Donald Duck Dunn, Murphy Dunn, uh, Willie Too Big Hall, Tom Bones Malone, uh, Blue Lou Marini, Matt Guitar Murphy, and Mr. Fabulous Alan Rubin. And I'll tell you something, you know, I've seen this movie several times over, but I just watched it um, again pretty recently. And I'm always blown away, like, at how good this band is, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, as somebody like I said, like myself, who loves uh, that style of music, they are they're really good. Chad, for you, I know that you're also a huge fan of this movie. Uh, do you remember uh, sort of how you got into this movie and sort of what your initial thoughts on it are? No, I I've watched it all growing up. Um, you know that those characters, uh, uh, Dan, like you said, Dan Aykroyd, or the actors rather, Dan Aykroyd and uh, uh, John Belushi and that style of movie back then in the eighties, you know, that's what, that's what we watched. And I remember having a, a VHS copy that I recorded off of uh, cable TV. Uh, and I wore that thing out and I think I still have it actually. And it probably works as well now as it did then, but 
I wore that thing out watching it over and over. Just I love the the comedy uh, and the music, and like you talking about the band, just a stellar band. And anybody that's a fan of uh, the classic R and B, like Sam and Dave and the Booker T and the MGs, that was the band that was playing on that. They were a back, they were a, a backup band for Stax. Uh, so they were the ones who were playing green onions and, uh, you know, the Sam and Dave stuff that, that was them. So they had a little bit of experience before they came on to, uh, the blues brothers scene. Yeah. And they're, like I said, uh, kind of like you mentioned, they're, they're such a great band and, um, you know, what's, uh, impressive to me. And this is something I also just picked up on, on my uh, most recent watch, um, with John Belushi, you know, you sort of mentioned how he wasn't really, he didn't really grow up in, in blues or wasn't a blues fan until Aykroyd, uh, introduced him to it. You know, he's a, a pretty good blues singer. Um, yep. you know, he, he sort of fits the genre well. Um, so it works, you know, they all work. Um, there's a lot of star power in this movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you're obviously talking about, like I said, Aykroyd and Belushi, but you also have, you know, faces like, uh, you know, James Brown, you have Carrie Fisher, um, John Candy, uh, Steven Spielberg makes yeah. an appearance. Paul, <laughs> yeah. Paul Rubens, uh, Frank makes Oz. an appearance. Frank Oz, uh, a lot of musicians like John Lee Hooker, mm-hmm. um, Ray Charles, Aretha Ray Franklin. Charles, Aretha Franklin. Yeah. Um, Cab Calloway. I mean, there's just a lot of star power in this movie. Man. It's it's honestly crazy um, how much talent uh, is in this movie from an acting standpoint and uh, and a musical standpoint. Um, so yeah, um, but like you said, you know, you sort of grew up with it, and and I think I did too. Uh, it's not a movie for children, but <laughs> uh, you know, it's just a really fun movie. Um, but the uh, the uh, Vatican paper came out and said that it was good viewing for Catholics. So <laughs> that's yeah. true. <laughs> yeah. So um, it it may not be good for children, but it 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 is good. And like I said, I always <laughs> grew up with the uh, the cable version, which you know heavily edited. Right. But uh, yeah, <laughs> of course I watched it as a kid. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it, I, th- I feel like it was different, though. You know, like kids yeah. today, uh, it seems like they watch stuff that's um, a little cleaner, maybe even later as kids. Whereas back when I was a kid or back when you were, were a kid, it seemed like we were exposed to, you know, more non-kid friendly things earlier yeah. in life. Um, but um, yeah, I mean. It, it it is a great movie. I mean, I get so, uh, I, I mean, I, I almost start rolling every time I watch the scene with, you know, the nun and, you know, slapping them with the, the ruler. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not safe for kids, but it's hilarious. Um, so <laughs> basically. Kathleen Freeman. That's another. Yeah, Kathleen Freeman. I didn't even mention her. Um, another huge star. Um, so the plot of this movie, you know, essentially. Uh, you know, Jake gets out of prison at the beginning of the movie. They find their childhood uh, is like a boy's home they grew up in. 
uh, where the nun, played by, like you mentioned, Kathleen Freeman, tells them that the the place is going to be bought out if they don't pay the five thousand uh, dollar taxes that are owned that are uh, owed, and so they basically go set out on a mission to um, you know gather that money uh, legally through uh, gigs, uh, musical gigs. Uh, and they try to get their band back together and they, you know, have this awe moment inside uh, James Brown's church and they realize they're on a mission from God and they're, you know, collecting this money and, and trying to collect this money and, and save their childhood home is essentially the plot of this movie. Um, but you have a lot of other things going on you know, that <laughs> you can't really just call that the straightforward plot because there's a lot happening. Yeah. Um, a lot of side plots, Illinois uh, yeah. Nazis and all kinds uh, of stuff. Carrie Fisher's role, you know, where she's <laughs> just consistently trying to kill him with military grade weapons. Um, <laughs> this is just, you know, hilarious. Um, I, I didn't know too recently that uh, she and Dan Aykroyd were engaged uh, during that movie. They got engaged during the production. Yeah. Yeah. I think he saved her from choking or, or something. And they, <laughs> yeah. They got yeah. engaged. I knew so he another, was married to Donna Dixon, who's another you know uh, movie star, but I, I didn't know about Carrie Fisher. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty insane, honestly. Um, uh, you know the like I said, the star power in this movie, and then you look at—I uh, bet a lot of people wouldn't know that they were engaged at any point in time. Um, and this was around. Let's see, 1980, uh, I guess this was around Empire Strikes Back sort of era for her. Yeah. Um, gosh, when does Empire come out? Was it, was it 81? Was it 80? Maybe it was, it was 80 or 81, I think. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, it was around that time for her. So, you know, she was a big star uh, at this point anyway. But yeah, like you mentioned, you have... That that plot, you have the Illinois Nazi plot. I mean, you have the uh, the, the John Candy, you know, chasing them down uh, sort of side plot. Uh, it, it's it's all pretty uh, hilarious. Um, fun fact about this movie, for those of you who don't know, it set a record of cars demolished. Uh, <laughs> at a, a 103, I believe, is the total number. Uh, it has been broken since, I think, but... Uh, if you watch this movie, <laughs> that's like always the first thing I think about is like how much destruction <laughs> happens in this movie. It's ridiculous. You know, the mall scene where they drive through the mall, which is, is you know, the, the premise of that's insane in the first place. What all yeah. what always gets me is that the cops follow them and destroy equally yeah. as much property. <laughs> you have like these, these shots of like cops just like veering into stores and veering back out for no reason. <laughs> you didn't even have to crash into that store, you know? Um, but that the was a, on this movie was 17 and a half million. I think John Landis said when he found <laughs> out, well, I think we've spent that already. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's already gone. Um, yeah, so that mall uh, was Dixie Square Mall in, in Harvey, uh, Illinois, which was a, a suburb of Chicago. It had actually closed down about a year before uh, production, and they sort of reopened it to to uh, 
to use for this movie. Uh, what was funny was that they were allowed to use it on the basis that they would return it in its original condition. <laughs> well, I, I thought that was never, they got sued for that, but I don't think that was ever agreed upon, was it? They may have not a- agreed upon it. That they did get sued for eighty-seven thousand mm-hmm. um, uh, dollars. The the mall is uh, demolished now. They they cleared it away in uh, twenty twelve, I believe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I had to look that up a while back because every time I watched that scene, I was like, it looks like a real working mall. Yeah, like it looks so believable, and so I was like you know, did they really just destroy this mall? So I had to look into it. Um, but yeah, that's another fun fact. You talked about budget. Uh, another fun fact about this, this movie, uh, something that was included in the budget was cocaine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> uh, which is, you know, is kind of, apparently, uh, Belushi, uh, apparently, uh, enjoyed the most of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is the rumor around town. Um, <laughs> apparently, according to, I think, um, Carrie Fisher, everybody on set was a dealer. <laughs> a dealer or a user or both. So, yeah. uh, you know, they uh, but they had to shoot long nights, according to Ackroyd. And, and so that was like the thing they used to, to keep their, their spirits up, which is just <laughs> insane. It's different times. Yeah, very, very, very different times. Um, let's see. I just had another one queued up here. Let me think of it. Something pretty cool. Um, so all of the um music in the film, because uh, the you know obviously I don't know why you're listening to this if you've never seen the movie, but the movie is essentially a musical. Um. But yeah. everything in the movie, if I'm correct, was lip synced, except for, um, I, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but the 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 boom boom song by John Lee Hooker, I mm-hmm. believe they just recorded that live in the street, and so that was not lip synced, but everything else was. Um, you know, I've read where they had a really hard time with uh, Aretha Franklin song because she was like terrible at lip syncing. And so they had to do like multiple takes and just try to patch them together to, you know, to try to match up her, her lip movement. Um, I guess, which is a good thing to have if you're really bad at lip syncing, it means you're just a good singer. (laughs) but yeah, so uh, it is a musical, and uh, and and like I said, everything is is uh, lip sync. Um, so Chad, when you think about the music in this movie, mm-hmm. um, I guess specifically the numbers that are performed, not just the ones you hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what which one sticks out to you the most? I mean, what's your favorite track oh, gosh, uh, out of this movie? There's not a favorite one. That whole soundtrack is just full of great music yeah um uh, but i will say this as much great you know it's a lot of a lot of r&b and the old uh style music but one thing that that is funny they're the blues brothers but there's only like two 
you know, traditional blue songs in it, which is Sweet Home Chicago and John and John Lee Hooker. (laughs) Boom, boom, boom. The rest of it is rhythm and blues, which is still a form of blues, but it's not blues as uh, as I would traditionally think of it. You know what I mean? As uh, Albert King, Freddie King, uh, you know, the the blue John Lee Hooker, uh, the blues greats, The, the music's great. Uh, and I love every track on it and every song throughout the whole movie is awesome. But, you know, they're, they're the blues brothers. So to me, they're, th- I'm thinking straight, you know, traditional blues, which I love the music that's in it. It's just, you know, there's, they only actually play one blues song that I remember. <laughs> and that's at the little, in the concert and they do, uh, uh, like I said, sweet home Chicago. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I've never really picked up on that before. That's kind of interesting now that you say that. They do play a lot of blues, like, in the background, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, as far as performance, obviously, you know, they go to uh, the, the country bar and perform <laughs> uh, Rawhide. Chicken uh, Wire? Yeah, Chicken Wire. Uh, they perform Rawhide and Stand By Your Man, which is just <laughs> the most hilarious scene, uh, you know. And uh, Rowdy Yates tune, <laughs> sort of a uh, uh, something that I would easily fly over most people's head that I, you know, I've always noticed, and it's it is hilarious every single time. Is uh, Belushi, you know, says uh, this is one that the horn section loves, and then the the horn don't even play on it. Is stand by <laughs> your man, uh, which is just hilarious, you know. Uh, but what gets me is, you know, they come into the bar. They're obviously uh, taking another band spot because they couldn't find a gig. So they just showed up, you know, and filled a, a spot for another band, you know, kind of li- lying their way into the role. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, uh, Elwood asked the, uh, the, the bartenders, like, you know, uh, what kind of music, you know, do you guys usually have here? And she's like, oh, we have both kinds, country and Western. <laughs> <laughs> it's just uh, hilarious. Or, you know, they start out playing uh, Give Me Some Lovin' and the the bar owner comes out and he's like, well, that ain't Hank Williams and just shuts them down. <laughs> yeah, it's relatable, uh, you know, as somebody from the South, it's relatable because I do know, you know, country folks like that who just shun every genre of music that's not country yeah uh, it's it's so <laughs> hilarious in that way growing up around people like that um but yeah this is uh the, the music in this movie is plentiful i mean the soundtrack on this thing is nuts yeah i would be willing to bet this is up there in terms of like the number of songs on the soundtrack um, which I'm, I'm sure is how they intended it. Right. Um, all right, let's look here. Um, so as far as like comedy in this movie, I would say, I would say this is probably different than a lot of other Aykroyd roles. If we just want to look at Dan Aykroyd for a minute, who wrote, wrote the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about him in, you know, Ghostbusters or, um, you know, uh, Spies Like Us or, 
you know, Caddyshack 2 or, you know, a lot of the, the, the 80s films that he was in. And you look at this movie and it is sort of different for them. You know, it's it's subtle comedy, but uh, it's a little more, I feel like, over the top maybe than, than it usually is <laughs> in some areas. Yeah. Um, I mean, what's your opinion on just uh, since this is a, a comedy film, what, what is your opinion on the, the comedy in this movie? Yeah, I think it, it's it's definitely jokes, but it's it's uh, subtle. You know, like the the first joke being uh, uh, Jake saying, "The day I get out of prison, my own brother picks me up in a police car," <laughs> uh, <laughs> or you know, or the the physical comedy like they're you know they're in the car and he throws in reverse and the car flips through the air you know, multiple times, hundreds of feet in the air, and then lands uh, the opposite direction and drives off. Or the, uh, <laughs> and speaking of that, um, uh, a, a deleted scene of that showed um, uh, Elwood parking under a bunch of Transformers uh, meant to show that the Transformers were charging up the car uh, that allowed it to do all those crazy stunts. But uh, John Landis cut it and said, no, we'll just say it's a, it's a magic car. Uh, or the, the Nazis driving off the bridge, uh, they, they drive off a normal overpass, but then you see them fall from the sky higher than the, the Sears building, (laughs) the Sears tower. (laughs) Yeah. Or like Uh, I mentioned, you have Carrie Fisher shooting rocket launchers. Yeah. (laughs) And it just blows up the door and they get up like nothing ever happened. (laughs) Or at the end when she's uh, shooting the machine gun and uh, Jake gets up and makes amends and he kisses her and she, all is good and he just drops from the mud puddle and they walk out. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's uh, jokes, but it's also that over-the-top um, comedy too, like you said, over-the-top with all the different stunts and the crashes and uh, all the different things going on. And, you know, another scene I remember that I didn't think about when I was little, but watching it now, you know, when they're in the, the Cook County Assessor's office and they barricade the doors with like tra- uh, ashtray and trash cans and a, a little wooden bench. And uh, normally a person could just push that open. But instead, <laughs> the army, <laughs> the soldiers take like five machine guns and just turn that door into Swiss cheese <laughs> in the middle of a public building. <laughs> That's so true. And they're being chased by all these cops and they get right up to the assessor's office and it says back in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, I I think there are some similarities. I think you can definitely see that that's uh, Aykroyd's style. Like you said, there is some differences from other things he's done, but there's also a lot of similarities too. Uh, you can, you know, if you, you can definitely tell in certain areas that that it's a, it's Aykroyd movie. Which, speaking of that, uh, I'll say this. You know, the, the movies we've talked about on here on the podcast, uh, this one and Ghostbusters and other things, you know, look, looking back, he not only was uh, a great uh, straight man, uh, he was a great comedic actor. If you look at, you know, some of his movies and as well as um, uh, Saturday Night Live, of course, this one he was uh, a straight man in. But his writing, he was just an excellent writer and just so full of ideas that it would be so long that they always had to take so much time to pare it down to get it down to 
a movie length. He was just, uh, I mean, he had it all. He could act. Uh, he could play uh, straight parts. He could play comedy parts. And then just a prolific writer. Uh, just, I don't think he, in my opinion, he doesn't get enough credit, uh, that he should, um, in those areas. Yeah. We, we talked about it, uh, a little bit when we did, uh, Ghostbusters, you know, at how huge that script was, you know, mm-hmm. and how crazy that script was when it first originated. And yeah, I mean, it seems like he's always got to be pulled back a little bit. He's got so, you know, so many ideas, um, but I agree. I mean, he, he is a phenomenal writer and, you know, I don't know, you know, there are people like guys we've talked about, like Bill Murray or, or Chevy Chase or, you know, guys like that who, you know, are the, the more well-known comedians, but for a guy like Ackroyd, I don't know if there's anybody out there who understands the writing of comedy better than he does. Mm-hmm. And if there is, it's probably Harold Ramis. Um, which is insane that they work together, you know, in in such a big project like Ghostbusters, you know, to have two people like that working together. Uh, But yeah, I mean, for for them to write the, you know, all these comedies, hilarious comedies, but when they act, you know, they're not the ones trying to steal the show, trying to take all the jokes, you know, they put those off on, on the other folks. They're happy to, to play the side gig. Yeah, they just want to make a good movie. They want to make a funny movie. And that's what's so, you know, uh, great about, uh, you know, a guy like him. That's why I think, you know, he was so valuable to Saturday Night Live when he was on it. You know, mm-hmm. you think about, you know, he was a, a founding cast member. And, I mean, if you really just take a step back and look at that, look at like the initial run of, of, of SNL with like him and Chevy Chase. I mean, they couldn't have gotten any... How lucky do you have to be to start a comedy sketch show and have all the talent they had, you know? Um, And not just as performers, but as writers and as people who understand what comedy needs to be to work, especially in that time period, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, you're right. I mean, he doesn't uh, really get, you know, the respect he deserves as a writer. I think he also wrote... uh, Gosh, I could be way off in this, but did he not write The Great Outdoors as well? I want to say he did. I think he did, but I'm not positive. I'd have to, to verify that. Hey, this is the power of... We have the, technology. Uh, we can find out. John Hughes wrote it. We was dead off. Ah. Well, he's kind of... He's pretty good. Well, he's in it. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure he had notes. <laughs> I guess John Hughes... You know, was a pretty good writer himself. <laughs> I've heard one or two of his movies. <laughs> yeah, Ackroyd, uh, incredible writer. Um, obviously, he wrote uh, Ghostbusters 2. We know that. Um, as a writer, he is credited with uh, Coneheads. He did that one. He did... Uh, Spies Like Us, he wrote that one. Um, mm-hmm. Great movie. Dragnet. Uh, so, yeah. And a, and a lot of Saturday Night Live. He was a big part of that writing team. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, he. I mean, it's just enough to say Blues Brothers and Ghostbusters. I mean, it's only two of the biggest, you know, comedies of all yeah. time. 
which is interesting. You know, this movie pretty much bombed, and it was pulled sort of out of the water by, uh, no pun intended, uh, by over the overseas market. Um, domestically, it, it initially didn't do very well, which is kind of surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess it has that musical uh, side to it, and, you know, people... People don't, you know, there's a lot of people who don't really get into the the musical types, even if it's a comedy. Um, let me see. This was this was not the the last film he and Belushi did together. I know that because me and you have discussed that. They before. did Neighbors. Uh, did it come out? I think it came out after this one. This one came out in '80, and Neighbors came out, I think, after that. Yeah, this uh, neighbors was the the last one. Um, I can't really find anything on it. Yeah, I know neighbors was the last one they did together, but this one was near the end. He did, uh, what year did Belushi pass away? It was nineteen eighty two. Okay, so it wasn't long after the release of a couple years after the re- release of Blues Brothers. Um, but man, you think about, you talked about Aykroyd and his, you know, writing chops and his acting chops. If you, can you imagine like if he and, and Belushi would have been able to continue making movies throughout the eighties? I mean, it, it would have been crazy probably how many more great movies they could have put out together. Yeah. Um, you know, he was already going to be a part of Ghostbusters, which, you know, in hindsight, maybe it's better that he wasn't. Um, given, you know, that sort of opened the door for like Bill Murray and, and guys right. like that. But, um, yeah, they probably could have, could have done a lot more together. Um, so going back to the movie here for a minute, um, <clears throat> the, the, we, we talked about the comedy, the action in this movie is something that you've already sort of talked about, uh, as far as like the car driving. Um, you know, is, is insane. Uh, I already mentioned, you know, they, they wrecked 103 cars, which is just, (laughs) I mean, where do you even find 103 cars to, to wreck? Um, but yeah, there's like crazy stunt, stunt driving all throughout the movie. I actually read where, uh, John Wayne's son was one of the, uh, the stunt drivers for this movie. Ethan Um, Wayne. Yeah. Um, and and this yeah the action of this movie I, you know it's got to be really tough I would think, to film a movie like this where, it's a comedy, but then you also got musical, which you've got a choreograph, yeah, and then you've got like these long drawn out car chase scenes where everything's getting destroyed and you have to perfectly line up all this stuff, I mean as a director. That's pretty, you know, that's pretty insane to be able to, to, to have to take on that kind of role, you know, of just like, because like you have to nail everything, um, you know, but yeah. it, even though it's so over the top, you know, if you don't nail everything, then it, it the whole thing doesn't work. Um, right. So many facets. And like you said, you know, you, the music could be good, but the comedy's flat or the comedy's out there, but the music's you know, maybe not as great, but this one just hits on all cylinders. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, a tip of the hat to Landis there. Uh, and Aykroyd, I guess, is the writer. Um, 
for being able to pull that one off. Um, another great scene from this movie uh, that you and I have referenced several times is the uh, dinner scene um, <laughs> when, <laughs> when they're sitting down to eat dinner and uh, you know trying to harass, uh, get their horn player back into the band, and um, you know you've got the the family next to them who's complaining, and you know these men smell offensive, <laughs> and and. Got Belushi saying, you know, sell me your children. You know, <laughs> How much for your women? <laughs> sell me your little girl. <laughs> <laughs> you got like, one thing I noticed that I guess I've never picked up on in the most recent watch is he got like Ackroyd eating a shrimp and then he gets right to the end of it and just tosses it to his right and it lands right in Belushi's <laughs> mouth. <I'm, laughs> I mean, the, like a, the comedy in this scene is just through the roof. I don't know. And the little girl's just laughing at them and they're just putting yeah. on a show. <laughs> I don't know who specifically um, uh, wrote, you know, that, that scene. I'm sure it was probably Aykroyd, but, um, you know, that one is just hilarious. Um, you've also got uh, this running gag of like watches getting broken. Yeah. <laughs> they like, broke my watch. I think it's what, like watch. three times? Yeah, three or four times. It's like they broke my watch. You've also got, if we want to keep, you know, talking about running gags, you've got this running gag of, uh, you know, Elwood only wants like toasted white bread, you know, which <laughs> just makes no sense. But it, you know, it's just yeah. this odd thing that sticks out. Or, you know, Jake ordering four fried chickens and a coat. Fried chickens and a coat. <laughs> <laughs> four full fried chickens and you know um, when she uh when she talks about with matt murphy's asking what they want and she's like they dress like uh conceited diamond merchants they look like they're from the cia but uh so they got that from what i've uh read they got that that get up uh from saturday night live because they were those two were always dressed as a secret service to uh yeah. chevy chase's uh uh sketches when he was the president um, so they just carried that over and apparently they called, uh, John Belushi, the black hole, because they had to have like hundreds of pairs of those glasses, sunglasses, cause he kept losing them constantly. Yeah, I did read that where it was like, they would film a scene and then by the time they filmed the next scene, he would have lost the sunglasses. <laughs> he just had, they called him, uh, what was it? They called him the black hole. I think yeah. that's what they named him. Um, which is just, uh, just absolutely hilarious. We haven't even talked about, um, John Candy. I mean, we've, you know, I've mentioned oh, yeah. him a couple of times, but he's in this, you know, he's in this movie, you know, orange whip, orange whip, you know, I mean, <laughs> and you know, that was improvised. Yeah. Uh, um, they were a, uh, what was it? It was like a refreshment, uh, service for the crew or something was the orange whip was the name yeah. of the, the, the um service <laughs> i guess it's also Orange the name Orange of a cocktail but... <laughs> 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 yeah uh he he fits well into this movie he fits super well into this movie john candy does and it yeah. almost makes me sad that he and um he and Aykroyd didn't do more movies together obviously yeah. they did uh the great outdoors but uh it would have been it would have been cool if they could have got uh, to do more together um it's kind of weird seeing him in a role like this where 
he's not like the definitive lead. Yeah, I guess you know you don't see you just didn't see uh, John Candy in many movies like that where it, the movie didn't center around him. Well, um, you know, he had a, a side part in. Um, I say a side part. He wasn't the main star in in Stripes. Yeah, that's true. That's one. And then uh, the movie. Uh, I don't know if you've seen uh, Splash with. Uh, yeah. Um, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. I don't know why I was blanking on that. Tom Hanks. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think he, he was a, his brother. Yeah, side part in that. Um, and I think we we talked about it before, but he was supposed to be in. Uh, he auditioned for Ghostbusters. Yeah, we, we did Tully. mention that he uh, he turned it down, I believe, and um, and uh, so yeah, uh, but it, it's crazy. Uh, even th- even with all that, you know, it's just it's still odd because he played in so many movies as a lead. Yeah, um, I guess in the Great Out, well, no, the Great Outdoors, he was still a lead. He was just yeah. sort of sharing a lot of screen time with uh, Dan Aykroyd. Um, so we, we talked a little bit about the, uh, the, the Nazis, the Illinois Nazis in this movie. Um, so when, you know, Jake and Elwood are stuck in traffic, uh, you know, they ask the cop what's going on and, and, you know, he tells them, uh, you know, those bombs won their court case. So they're marching today. And, you know, Jake says, you know, I hate Illinois Nazis, Illinois Nazis. Um, and that's a reference to the, uh, uh, a mid 1970s incident where, uh, the Nazi Party of America planned a uh, public demonstra- demonstration in Skokie, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, Which just happened local- to be full of <laughs> Jewish people and Holocaust survivors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to remember, this is 19, uh, well, the mid-1970s. Uh, yeah. You know, it's not, you're not terribly far uh, relatively removed from, you know, the Yeah, a little Holocaust over 30 and, years. Yeah. Um. But the local government, um, you know, uh, took over that, and they, they took the matter to uh, Supreme Court, um, and it led to a 1977 decision in favor of the Nazis' First Amendment right to freedom of assembly. So it's kind of, there's a rabbit hole that you can go down there, um, but uh, that is kind of interesting that, you know, that little, that this uh part that was written you know for these illinois nazis sort of came from a a real world uh event um so <clears throat> let's take a look here we, we did sort of mention the soundtrack here um actually let me count uh one two three four five six seven ten eleven 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 30. There's 30 songs in this movie, <laughs> which is just, <laughs> it's just crazy. Um, yeah, this is such a great soundtrack, man. Um, you know, like you mentioned from Sam Cooke, John Lee Hooker, uh, Elmore James, uh, Otis Redding. Fats Domino, Cab Calloway. Yeah, it's just a, a loaded soundtrack, which we talked a little bit about. But um, I really love the inclusion of uh, Ray Charles in this movie. Yeah. Um, and his performance of, uh, you know, Shake a Tail Feather. Uh, it's just crazy. You know, when they're in the music store, which also adds to the comedy, 
you know, and he's, you know, tries to sell them that piano for, you know, $2,000. And they're like, are you crazy? Like this thing's used. And, you know, they, uh, El, uh, <clears throat> Elwood, uh, pulls, a piece of black tape off the back of it. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like covering up a mark. Um, and the yeah, kid's trying to steal a guitar. He whips out again and shoots it. Just shoots it. <laughs> <laughs> shoots two holes perfectly in the wall. Yeah. That's insane. Or the fact that they had just bought like these speakers from him like six months prior and paid 800 for them. And he's like, I'll give you 350 for them. And they're like, what? <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. But uh, I've always loved uh, his inclusion in the movie as a big fan of uh, of Ray Charles. Um, you get a fun fact for you. And I, I, I didn't really know this, but in the scene where they are, uh, doing jailhouse rock, you can actually see Joe Walsh in the background. Did you know, have you ever noticed that? Yeah. Uh, he's the first one who, uh, jumps up and starts dancing. (laughs) I I guess I never picked up that that was Joe Walsh. That's kind of (laughs) crazy. I don't know why. Um, until I sort of looked into it. Um, yeah, I mean, look, the, the I think the best thing about this movie is, you know, obviously the, the comedic factor to it. But like I said, I've always been fascinated with how well this movie works in several different factions. And I almost look at it kind of like we looked at uh, Ghostbusters. Right. Where that movie worked so well as um, a comedy, a horror, a science fiction, a thriller, where this movie works as a musical, a comedy, kind of got got the the cool car chases. Yeah, uh, some action. Yeah, which can sort of lead into more comedy. But, um, you know, it works well on, you know, many different factions. And, you know, I was thinking about this today you don't really see see that a lot even back in that time period it seems like uh Ackroyd is attached to pretty much every one of these that does that i mean i think about movies like uh i don't know if you just point out different you know comedies from from that time period you know you look at like i don't know caddyshack or vacation or movies like that i mean they're pretty much all straightforward comedies but then yeah. you have movies like this or like i said with ghostbusters that works on a few different levels. Um, and the crazy thing is, and I don't know how often this happens is this movie led to, uh, an actual, you know, band having success with the blues brothers and touring and things like that. Um, I mean, what sort of give me your thoughts on, um, you know, I guess why you think this movie, you know, does work on so many levels and also like, uh, this movie's impact, you know, this far down the road, why this movie's still, you know, really popular and why, you know, people still know who the Blues Brothers are and, and all that. Well, I, I think, number one, the the music that's peppered all through the movie is just classic music. You know, it's, it's never faded. Um, it's classic R&B. It's classic blues. Uh, that, I, you know... That's I think that that helps it because like you talked about the soundtrack that soundtrack is still good today every song in that thing is just is is just great, um, and the comedy isn't isn't uh, I don't want to say cheesy it's it's not it's 
it's just good. Just the, you know, from the directing to the writing, to the acting, to the, to the music, everything is just, it's just good about it. I mean, I, I couldn't tell you one bad thing about the movie, honestly. Uh, so I think when it, when things are done well, uh, they hold up, um, they hold up to time. Uh, the music's done well, like I said. So, uh, in, in the, you know, they did the, they did blues brother, blues brothers, 2000, which I was really excited for, but it just did not capture the magic that the original did for me. It's good. It's not as good. Uh, you don't see a lot of people talking about that one like you do the original. The original just just had it all. And I think they tried to recapture a lot of what they did in the original, but something was just, something was different. I don't know if it was just Belushi, uh, you know, not, you know, with him being gone, but there there was something different there. Um, but we, we said this with Ghostbusters, how they capture lightning, lightning in a bottle. I think they did the same thing with this one. Uh, just a classic movie. Yeah, and that's interesting. You know, I I didn't even think about mentioning uh, Blues Brothers 2000, which is a movie I don't, you know, we probably won't cover on here. We might someday, but um, yeah, I mean, I just, I've seen that movie like twice and it just never does it for me, especially not in the same way this one does. Um, Is it for the lack of Belushi? I don't know. I mean, um, there are some cheesy parts in it. And yeah. some things you, it's kind of goofy and I don't want to say <laughs> unbelievable because we've mentioned some things in the original that, you know, not really believable, like the right. Pinto falling from, you know, a height taller than the, <laughs> than the Sears tower, <laughs> which when they did it, totally okay. It was, it was funny. Uh, but something was just different in the, in that one that, um, which is kind of, kind of hokey to me and not as good. I think part of it for me is the kid yeah. in, in, in Blues Brothers 2000. I think it just doesn't work as well. You know, it really worked as like a gritty, uh, you know, not made for kids kind of movie. And then you sort of brought it back. You brought it down a little bit um, with with adding the addition of the kid. And, and you're talking about like uh, – unrealistic things and like him being a part of it was like, you know, unrealistic and uh, yeah. it was a little too over the top for me. Yeah. And you could he, tell that they were not really playing, you know, I think I want to say he was playing a, a harmonica or something. You could tell it was just, it was very unrealistic. Where in the original. They were playing, even though it was lip synced that, you know, it was, they were lip syncing to their music in their lyric, in their voice. Right. Yeah. And, so I don't know. I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen Blues Brothers 2000, so maybe it's not the best time to give an opinion on it. But I just, I don't know. I just, I've never really cared for that for that movie, uh, you know, very much. And, uh, you know, probably a big part of it, besides what we've talked about, is the loss of Belushi. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, that, um, that relationship between, uh, you know, he and, and Dan Aykroyd just isn't there. Um, you know, he's replaced sort of quote unquote replaced by, you know, John Goodman in, in Blues Brothers 2000. Uh, I believe that's right. It's John Good- Goodman. Yeah, it's John Goodman. Yeah. Uh, and it just, uh, you know, even, even though John Goodman's great and he's, uh, you know, a fantastic actor in his own right, 
it just doesn't it doesn't you know it doesn't work with with him um yeah. uh you know the same way you know belushi just had this sort of unique attitude and um you know character that he brought to you know every role that he played um and and you know when you didn't have that it, it just didn't work interestingly well, enough what no go ahead go ahead well and you know now that i do think about it i think what what give the original you know uh that that power was the chemistry between Dan Aykroyd's character you know Dan Aykroyd and Jim uh, John Belushi sorry John Belushi uh their their chemistry and then their interactions in the movie were in 2000 you know you you don't have that chemistry cuz John Belushi's not there and just the the character of Elwood is just I, I feel like he's just different uh yeah. so you you just don't have that same chemistry Interestingly enough, uh, earlier I was uh, I was sort of mentioning uh, that this came out around the time Empire Strikes Empire Strikes Back came out. This came out on the exact day as Empire Strikes Back, no. <laughs> which I did not know. Uh, so now I see why this movie did not do very well domestically. <laughs> what it, it didn't it didn't do? I mean, they pulled in what 115 million. Well, it, compared to the 14 million that 2000 brought in, right? It's it's all according to like budget and how much yeah. you spent and right. you know movies that you know if you get into reading about hollywood accounting and what movies have to bring in to make a profit it's it's absolutely ridiculous i think the standard formula is a movie has to make like over three times it's what it costs in order to make a profit which is just crazy um but yeah came out on the same day as empire strikes back um so that was uh I mean, you think about that. Carrie Fisher uh, having the Blues Brothers and the Empire Strikes Back open on the same day. I mean, that's like, <laughs> I don't know if anybody's ever achieved anything like that before, you know, to be into two classic movies that release on the same day. Um, that's that's pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> look, this movie is, it's fun. It's one of those movies that... You don't have to take too seriously. You can just watch it and enjoy it, you know, and enjoy the, you know, all aspects of it. It's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. Like I mentioned, some people um, aren't into the musical type of movies and I'm really not either. It's just this being, um, uh, you know, the type of music that it is and such big players as far as, you know, the, the musicians and the actors that are in this movie and the comedy that you also have and the over-the-top action like we've talked about. It just, it's always really worked for me. Um, and it's a, it's a movie that I love. It's, you know, it's been a part of my Blu-ray collection for a while. Um, and it's, I, I, I just, I can watch this movie and just absolutely uh, role. Uh, what are your sort of, uh, closing opinions on it? I, like you said, it's, it's something that it's a staple I grew up with. Um, I got a lot of influence. Uh, I play music. I'm a musician. I got a lot of influence from, I'll, I'll be honest from that movie. One of the first blue songs and riffs, uh, that I learned, uh, was that opening to, uh, sweet home Chicago <laughs> in the main concert. And, uh, you know, being that young and hearing those, you know, those songs and that type of music uh, really had an influence on me. 
uh, it gave me a love for for that those styles of music uh, and seeing John Lee Hooker and uh, you know Aretha Franklin and um, uh, uh, Ray Charles is just is just amazing uh, and the comedy was just was just great and I think you know I I don't know if if you're aware of this uh, and I didn't until recently there was actually an Blues Brothers animated series. Really? In the late nineties, that never aired, and it starred Peter Aykroyd, who's his, who's uh, Dan Aykroyd's brother, and Jim Belushi, as well as Mark Hamill and Tim Curry. <laughs> I mean, they had some stars in wow. this, but there was eight episodes, but they never aired it. Okay, so I can I'm see curious. How, <laughs> I can see how you can pull. The, the brothers in there, Peter Aykroyd and Jim Belushi. And I can see how you could pull Mark Hamill into it, him being a voice actor for animated things. How how did you get... <laughs> Here's my question. How did Tim Curry end up in this? That's I what don't I know. <laughs> and why did they... Because apparently they finished eight episodes, but never aired. Uh, wow. And I don't know I if you can, you can find them online. I would definitely like to see them. Um, let's find out so it's it's crazy i'm i'm sure it would be good i, it, I think it came out in or it was finished in uh 97 um but yeah if if there's some out there i would definitely like to see it some footage i think there is a little bit of footage i don't know if you can get all eight episodes uh i don't think it's uh i'll say this i, I don't know this for sure but i don't think that uh it was a uh a children's show uh, and I say this just based on uh, some of the uh, uh, episode titles, like Gigolo Jake and Strange <laughs> Death of Betty Smythe. <laughs> well, here's an uh, here's an interesting headline. Back in 2016, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Ackroyd tried to write a new Blues Brothers animated series. Yes, and it was he was doing that along with uh, John Belushi's widow. Uh, and they've actually teamed up. Um, they're teaming up right now. It was announced in October of, of last year, of 21, that they're doing a docuseries on the Blues Brothers where it's going to explore the characters, explore the music that influenced them, uh, you know, the actors. I think it, that sounds really interesting. Uh, I've not heard a lot more, but I know that uh, John Belushi's widow is leading the charge, and she's working with Dan Aykroyd on this. So they're they're putting this together. Uh, so that that sounds that sounds amazing. Here's the question: Will it ever actually happen? Though I don't know, but I will say you know, this: with Aykroyd, the resurgence of Ghostbusters now, yeah, and I would you know with Dan Aykroyd his stock going up, I could definitely see somebody giving this the green light, and I hope they do. Aykroyd sort of has that reputation of you know, saying something's going to go into production really soon and it never pans out. But mm-hmm. I like you. I mean, he's, I, I don't know that there is a writer out there who is more ambitious than Dan Aykroyd, <laughs> you know, yeah. like he, he's like all the time I'm working on this, I'm working on that. Uh, and I have no doubt he, that he, you know, that he is, I, I, I'm, I'm sure he's, if we could get into Dan Aykroyd's house right now or a warehouse, he probably has thousands of, uh, scripts or you know stories <laughs> written ready to go for all these different franchises. Yeah. Um. 
Another thing I really love about this movie, as we sort of get ready to close it out here, um, this I guess it's sort of off the wall here, but I really love the 70s, 80s, gritty Chicago vibe to this yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you just don't, and that's one thing that I've really noticed that you don't get in movies anymore because, you know, it's it's been so long, everything's different, you know. Um when you get movies from the seventies or eighties that are shot in, you know, New York or Chicago or places like that, there's this, you know, gritty sort of, uh, you know, blue collar vibe to the, uh, to the movie. And, um, and it, and it works really well in this movie. You like, you get the opening shots with the, the mills and the, the jail and, you know, it goes through sort of the, uh, industrial parts, I guess, of Chicago. And, you know, you think about all the car chase scenes, like, it, you know, especially at night, and you really get to see, you know, the the, the gritty parts of Chicago. And you just don't see things like that anymore. But that, that's sort of off the wall. But I, I did want to mention that because that's one, I think that's one thing that makes the movie work really well for me. No, I, I completely agree. Um, that is something, that's a point that, you know, it always hits home with me. I've got family from Chicago. And I can remember being little, you know, as far back as 85, going to Chicago on summer vacation and staying with family. And that wasn't that, that was like five years after this movie was filmed or after this movie came out. Uh, you know, of course, I don't, rem- it, a lot had changed in those five years, which now I think in five years isn't that long. But yeah, just that uh, uh, late 70s, early 80s Chicago just brings another uh, facet uh, to the movie that, you know, it, it's hard to replicate. Yeah. And, uh, uh, one movie that, uh, is more recent, uh, I mean, it's been, you know, I guess probably three, four, well, yeah, probably about three years since it's been out. Uh, but that, uh, the, the Joker movie, I thought that was one thing that it got, you know, yeah, it, it did pretty well was showing that time period of, uh, I guess where well, and that was Gotham, but it was you know like a New York vibe yeah. of um, of capturing that. But yeah, when they when when a when a movie captures that sort of vibe, you know, in that feel and gets that right, I mean, it it, it to, to me it just adds this whole new dimension to the movie and makes it more interesting and you know really uh, really grabs you and and so for me personally that that works really well. Uh, before we, uh, get out of here, I mean, there's, is there anything else about Blues Brothers, uh, that you feel is worth mentioning or you want to throw in there? I mean, I, I think we, we covered it pretty well. Um, you know, again, one of my, one of my favorite movies, uh, and it'll, it'll always be with me and I'll always watch it with, uh, you know, I don't think it's ever going to diminish. I'm going to watch it with, the with the same attitude as I always have for the thousandth time. Um, so, yeah, just all around great. Yep, uh, we've we've started off the the run of this podcast with some, <laughs> you know, some home run hitter movies, and and this is uh, another one of them. Uh, Blues Brothers is uh, you know just a property that everybody knows, and uh, and you know it's a fantastic movie. Like I said, not going to be everybody's cup of tea, but. For me, I love this movie. I think it's hilarious, um, and and you know, like we've mentioned, the the musical aspect of it makes it that much cooler. Uh, this has been ticket stubs and cassette tapes. Like I said, you can find us on 
uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Just a side note, Google Podcasts is pretty weird about updating RSS feeds. So, uh, you know, if you have issues listening to certain, uh, you know, playback errors and things like that, it's it's on their end. It's not on our end. Every, you know, every other platform that we upload to, you know, does everything pretty quick and, and you know, doesn't really have any complications. It's, it seems to be only Google that we're having the issues with. But, um, you know, like I said, we're also on Spotify and, and Apple Podcasts. Um, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. Just search Ticket Stubs and Cassette Tapes. You'll see our name. You'll see our logo. Give us a like, follow, subscribe. Uh, we're excited to uh, con- continue to, uh, you know, deliver uh, some good stuff to you guys. And I think the next movie we're doing is Empire Strikes Back. So that lined up pretty well. Um, and we're also going to be taking a look at the uh, the last few episodes of uh, Book of Boba Fett. So pretty excited about that. Uh, I'm Andy and he is Chad and we'll see you later. <laughs>